0: I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Ex-lovers, mobile phone store employees, and that disgruntled electrician who stole and distributed Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson's sex tape, they're examples of people who have committed so-called revenge porn, sharing private sexual images of a person without their consent. That's illegal in California. That's because in 2013, then-Governor Jerry Brown signed a first-of-its-kind law that criminalizes revenge porn, making it a jailable offense. Amendments have been made to the original law to strengthen it since then, most recently in 2021 by Governor Gavin Newsom, but advocates and prosecutors say that it's failing revenge porn victims for a number of reasons. Chronicle reporters Tal Copin and Megan Cassidy reviewed revenge porn cases across all nine Bay Area counties to see how the law's been working. They found that many revenge porn charges are eventually dismissed and defendants who are convicted face just a few days in jail or probation. And more often than not, victims of revenge porn face a heavy burden during the prosecution process and they face being re-traumatized along the way. Today on Fifth Admission, Tall Copen joins me to talk about what she and her colleague Megan Cassidy discovered by digging into California's existing revenge porn law. There is a renewed effort to make revenge porn a felony on the federal level, which would strengthen existing revenge porn laws across the country. Tall is here to talk about what the federal law would do and how there are lessons to be learned from their review of California's track record. Tall Copin, Thank you so much for being here. Explain for me, how does California prosecute people who have shared revenge porn, what rights do victims have? Basically, the law
1: says that someone who distributes intimate images of another person who knew or should have known that there was an expectation that those images would remain private and knew or should have known that it would cause person in them, serious emotional distress, and the person suffers that distress, that is a crime. And it's a misdemeanor
0: crime under California law. And what do advocates and prosecutors who work on revenge porn issues say are the main problems with the current state law? Well, so a couple of things that I just mentioned. One is that it's a misdemeanor offense. Mm
1: -hmm. That's in their eyes, problematic in a couple ways. One is that even if you get a conviction, the result can be relatively insubstantial. For the piece, we did a review of the ways that this law has been prosecuted in the Bay Area and its nine counties. And there was one example of a couple after they broke up, the, the ex-boyfriend posted the images online when the ex-girlfriend contacted him and asked him to take them down, he tried to extort her for sex. Mm. You know, he said one last time. That ultimately was a conviction uh, where the sentence was 10 days with a half-time component. So he ended up serving five days in jail. So one is that many feel that the ultimate sentences don't necessarily correspond to the harm inflicted on the victim's. But the second piece of it is is procedurally prosecutors say it's actually really difficult for them to get investigative steps that they need for only a misdemeanor offense that it can be really hard to get warrants specifically to search technology, which, mm-hmm. you know. To prove one of these prosecutions, that's a pretty essential step for the prosecutors. They have to be able to go into, you know, the defendant's devices and be able to show that they were the one posting and all this stuff. So to not be able to get warrants, that's a really problematic investigative step. And then the other piece of it that prosecutors and advocates say is problematic is the requirement in the law, the way it's written, and I'll read it to you. There's a piece of the law that says, and the person depicted suffers that distress. Hmm. So it's actually a requirement under the law to get a conviction to prove the victim's distress in this case. And that means that in order to get a conviction, the victim is going to have to prove how harmed they were by it. And advocates say, you know, it it risks re-traumatizing them. They have to basically speak to the court about their darkest, deepest moments and Go through all of that if they Mm -hmm. want a conviction where the law doesn't have to be written that way
0: is what they say. And I would imagine it would deter victims from wanting to come over and relive that trauma too.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, there are other pieces of this when we spoke with prosecutors that they say really deters victims, unlike laws against sexual assault and uh, the way those are handled in court, there are provisions that allow for people to not have their names entered in the record. One thing that astonished me in reporting this piece is there's nothing that provides for censorship of the images when they're entered into evidence. Hmm. So if victims want to bring a case forward, the very images that they're trying to take down from public consumption and were so violated in the first place because they were put out there without their consent, those same images are going to be entered into evidence for the people involved in the trial. And they have to ask for permission to censor them. And there's no guarantee that they're going to get that. So Mm. that's a taste of the burden on victims in trying to bring these prosecutions forward.
0: Yeah, and Tal, it's also important to note that the original bill was signed back in 2013. That was quite a while ago. And of course, technology and social media has evolved so much since then. Is this also a matter of the law just not being able to keep up with how quickly digital technology evolves.
1: Well, partially interestingly, the law as I mentioned has gone through some revisions. Mm-hmm. The very first draft technically didn't even apply to selfies because of the way it was written in terms of that it, it sort of spelled out how the image was taken. If someone took an image of themselves and then gave it to someone else and then that person distributed it without their consent, the law didn't apply to that because It had specified, you know, the the course of how the image was taken. So legislators did update that piece of it, but it's an example of how much, you know, things can change very quickly. And if you don't capture that in the law and that flexibility, Mm -hmm. it's a problem. You know, one of the the district attorneys, we an assistant district attorney in Santa Clara County, told us that there's nothing in the law that accounts for the amount of sharing. So they said someone can do this. In their words, a perpetrator can do this 1,000 times to the same victim, to different victims, and it will always be a misdemeanor. Mm. So that's another example. I mean, with technology, you can distribute so many images so quickly. It's very hard for a law that doesn't contemplate that reality to keep up with the the situation on the ground.
0: So there are gaps in the law, clearly. Tall, you and your colleague, Chronicle reporter Megan Cassidy, wanted to assess how the law was working in the Bay Area You looked at statistics across all nine counties. What did you find out?
1: We found a really wide range of how many times this charge has been brought. And it's hard to fully capture everything we don't know, right? We don't Mm -hmm. know how many crimes were deterred, for example, because this law was on the books. You would never see that in a prosecution. But what we found is since 2013, so about eight and a half years it's been on the books, Between all nine Bay Area counties, we believe it's been charged at least 178 times. Hmm. Santa Clara County has charged it 66 cases. San Francisco had five prosecutions of adults, not including the juvenile cases. We didn't have those figures. Napa prosecutors say police have presented it to them seven times, but they've only charged it once, Hmm. uh, again, throughout the duration of the law. Alameda County had it in 25 cases, uh, and Marin was the county that didn't respond to us. Probably in the grand scheme of things, not that many prosecutions in any of the counties Mm -hmm. over the life of this bill, which is almost a decade now, but really a wide range, which shows that different departments have sort of found different abilities to use this law. And even if they charged it, dozens of these cases are still pending, so we don't know the ultimate outcome. And many of these cases are ultimately closed without a conviction. Either they couldn't build the evidence, they decided to charge something else instead. The number of convictions is lagging way behind the number of cases, which are already not that many across
0: the counties. More with Washington correspondent Tall Copen after a quick break. We'll talk about what a federal law about revenge porn could do, as well as how age factors into the decision to prosecute. Is revenge porn different when teenagers do it? We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Paul, before the break, we talked about the limits of the California revenge porn law, and now there's a federal effort to improve prosecutions of the crime. It's being championed by San Mateo Representative Jackie Speier. How did this bill come about, and what would it do to improve the California law?
1: That's right. Congresswoman Jackie Speier is one of the lawmakers who's worked on this. Actually, interestingly, when Vice President Kamala Harris was in the Senate, she was one of the authors of this bill, and she— also as attorney general brought the first prosecution in the state in 2014 under California's bill the federal law that Jackie Spear has been working on for years and she's introduced it several times is is modeled a little bit differently than California's law and advocates believe would fix some of their complaints with it so first of all it's a felony and it's a federal offense The federal law proposal also does not include any requirement of victim distress. So there's no requirement that be proved in court. So it says it's a crime if someone shares an intimate depiction of a person with knowledge of or reckless disregard for their lack of consent and the expectation that it would remain private. Mm -hmm. So it's constructed very differently than the California law and its supporters believe would be a much more constructive statute for prosecutors. Interestingly, there are varying laws in 48 states and D.C. on non-consensual pornography or revenge porn as a colloquialism. So the federal law would then cover all of that, any gaps in those laws. But the other piece of why they say a federal law is necessary is that this is an internet-enabled crime. And mm-hmm. so the crimes don't always neatly line up with state boundaries. And so a federal law allows for sort of the prosecution of interstate crimes
0: as well as you know localized crimes. Mm-hmm. And of course, it would deter people because a federal offense would be something people would want to avoid, of course. I mean, this seems to make a lot of sense, but we know how divided Congress is. How does this issue fall on party lines in the House and Senate? Yeah, anything in Congress is a tough lift.
1: It actually has bipartisan co-authors and sponsors in both the House and Senate. The Violence Against Women Act, the House passed a reauthorization last Congress and included Congresswoman Spears' bill in that. But the Senate, ultimately, this Congress negotiated a different version that didn't include it. And now they'll have to pass uh, the law by itself if they're going to do it. Anything in Congress is a tough lift. There are different headwinds, including you know this question of creating new criminal penalties. Anytime you're talking about criminalization of something, there's a real hesitancy when there's been all this work on criminal justice reform and not over penalizing and filling prisons with people who maybe shouldn't be getting harsh sentences. That's sort of the way the trends have been going. And so to advocate for new crimes and new penalties and new consequences, you know, you sort of have to make the case. Now, advocates and prosecutors certainly argue that this is a crime that needs to be a crime. And I think most Americans are probably there as well. But There are free speech concerns uh, that are raised around these laws. Now, ultimately, the courts have allowed these laws to stand over those challenges over the past almost decade that they've been put into effect. But free speech advocates, you know, anytime you're limiting expression, there are concerns and they predominantly ask for what Congresswoman Spears Law has, which is an exception for matters of public interest. That's one of their big requirements.
0: And another issue is that a lot of these revenge porn cases happen with teenagers, right? And that age is also a consideration here in terms of concerns. Yeah, we spoke with a public defender who raised
1: that issue. This is something that can happen among teens. We don't have hard data to say if it's it's mostly or not, but certainly teens can get into issues with this. And that adds a layer of, you know, when you talk about do you want to create crimes and penalties and consequences, if you're talking about teenagers as the ultimate recipients of these consequences, does that change how you think these laws should be used? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we spoke with a district attorney in the piece who wants to see the California law become what's known as a wobbler. So prosecutors would have discretion to charge misdemeanors or felony offenses. Prosecutors can kind of decide, is this a more minor offense or is this a more serious offense? But of of course, there are those who don't necessarily believe that prosecutors should be the arbiters of of those types of things, uh, and they don't
0: want it all in their hands. So what are the next steps? When might we see the result of whether this federal law will take place? We would have until the end of this year,
1: until the new Congress takes effect after the midterms this fall. And Congresswoman Speer is retiring at the end of this Congress. So certainly for her, this is a legacy item that she would like to get see done. Anything in Congress is tough during a midterm election year, which happens to be every other year in, in, mm-hmm. the, in Congress. But there are opportunities, especially for bills that aren't, you know, particularly partisan. This one is not really a partisan issue. So we'll see. Congresswoman Spear is certainly working on it, as are the other bill authors. And, you know, we'll see if, again, with Vice President Kamala Harris in the White House, if there's any interest on their part uh, in, in kind of helping on the issue as well.
0: Tal, this is such an important topic. I appreciate you and Megan Cassidy reporting on this. Thanks for chatting with me about it. Thanks so much for having me. Tal Copin is the Washington correspondent for The Chronicle. Her piece about revenge porn laws was written with crime reporter Megan Cassidy. You can find it online at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thank you to King Kaufman for editing this episode and to you for listening.